This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. In this month's Behind the Curtain conversation with someone on the AMVA team recognizing our 90th anniversary, I am with Pierre Boyer, or as we refer to him here, PY, who's our Chief Information Security Officer. PY, welcome to the AMVAcast. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm you know, looking forward to this discussion. Thank you. So I wanted to talk to, to you in this continuing series of talking to folks at AMVA and letting our listeners know what really happens behind the scenes. So many people are well aware of our robust technology infrastructure, the AmvaNet platform that so much relies on, which makes security, technology security, information security, um, a different brand than what maybe information security might be at, say, a more traditional trade association. Uh, which makes your role and your job, it's more than just protecting our I- internal network. It's all the pieces that touch all the parties that touch Amvanet. Is that is that a, a fair starting of the, the world you live in? Yeah, that's that's true. And, and you know, we, the services we provide to our members are extremely critical. Um, I see us as, in many ways, providing critical infrastructures to our members to allow them to uh, meet their mission. And we need to be there to respond to their need. And that means, you know, ensuring that all our services are secure. The data that we have custody over is taken care of very seriously. Um, so, yes, it's, it is definitely a major step up from what you will be doing in my role in a traditional not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, as you mentioned, we uh, operate very complex system in complex environment, leveraging a lot of latest technology. Um, so that requires us to be aware of those technologies and, you know, able to properly address all the aspects. So we maintain confidentiality, we maintain integrity of the data and availability of our systems for our members. Now, and it's not only the latest technology, it's in some ways the oldest technology. Because one of the things we pride ourselves on is the flexibility to be able to work with different members and partners who that are in different phases of their own modernizations. How, how does that complicate the ability to handle security where you're not only dealing with the newest stuff, but you're trying to keep the older stuff that has a different type of security risk? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a good good question. Um, in many ways, we tried we, the way we have organized our services and the, um, the, the connectivity to those services is to make the technology something that our members are agnostic over. Mm-hmm. They don't need to worry about what we use or what their peers are using. And in a way that facilitate a little bit our job on the security side, because we, we don't have to be necessarily uh, cognizant of whether uh, a member is using a mainframe system or a .NET uh, Windows system or some cloud uh, uh, equivalent. Um, we, we are working agnostic of that. We are working on encryption technology that we know works everywhere we're working on. Yeah, it's, it's moving at a layer mm-hmm. where we can extract the additional, the actual um, um, technology that our members are using. So when we 
talk about information technology security. You know, the those of us who don't live in it every day, we think about the types of things you're putting in place to fight viruses, to fight a potential hacker into into the system. Um, is that a, I'd imagine it's a little bit of an oversimplification, but yet still sits at the core of what what you're doing. Can you help unpack that for me? Yeah, um, it it is you know preventing bad actors from doing bad things in the environment is still at the top of the mm-hmm. you know the the, the, the concern there. Um, it's also preventing mistake to be uh, to happen. You know, sometimes you ah. you could have a situation where um, something is is done by you could potentially have a, a breach where somebody has done something unbeknownst to them uh, because they were not properly trained or the proper security control went in place. So in our in our role, we need to prevent all that the mistakes and the malicious intent activity. Um, and it's it. Even though the the uh, the premise have not changed, the, the techniques that are used, uh, the means uh, by which the bad actors are trying to get in continues to evolve and become more and more sophisticated every mm. day. You know, we you think of the uh, traditional Nigerian prince email that right. was coming to your mailbox 10, 12, 15 years ago. We are well, well beyond that now. Now yeah. a lot of research is done by the bad actor before sending a phishing campaign targeting individuals very precisely with information that is seems to be known just between you and others. And, yeah. um, so it makes those attacks a lot more difficult to detect and, um, and prevent. So that's why we always need to be a step ahead. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about those, like the, the phishing campaigns, for, for example. What is at risk? We're gonna, I'm, I'm going to come back to how we prevent it and, you know, or mitigate it. But what is at risk for not only a platform like we run here in Anva, but for large complex networks? What's at risk when the wrong person clicks that wrong link in that what might seem like a very simple email from somebody you think you know, and you click that link and you go, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. What, what's, at, what's at stake in those moments? So there are, it, it depends on exactly what the intent of the attacker um, has with those uh, malicious emails, those phishing emails. Mm-hmm. In some cases, it's to actually make it look very convincing and, and have you divulge some um, confidential information. Mm-hmm. A good one that uh, most attacker would be interested in is your password, right, your credentials. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there is a way to convince you to provide a password, that would be a, a success. Um, an, another very common one is changing bank information. You know, you, an, an attacker could see that an organization has business with another organization and send an email pretending to be this other organization and asking to change the banking for the future invoice. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that uh, will go to them. Um, and then you have the situation where the link, um, the, the purpose there is to install malicious software. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to work at all those layers. And, and some, some of those attacks are very focused on the human aspect and others are much more focused on the technology. When you, when you have a link that's aimed at installing malicious software, um, it's a little less in human, you know, yeah. even though you, you're still relying on the human uh, component uh, for clicking on that link, uh, you have a lot more control there. Um, to prevent the, the you know those malicious software to be installed. And, and it also seems like the, the motivations have changed, right? From the days of the emails with the prints, somebody was trying to do a quick cash grab. Yeah. 
But now it seems to be less about a financial motivation as it is a disruption motivation. Uh, I would argue that... They're still looking for the money. They're still looking for the money, yes. Okay. Ransomware, you probably heard of it, is very prevalent. Um, you know, the whole purpose behind ransomware is, is getting money out of an organization. Uh, so they're trying to hack into, they're trying to find a way into your system to really, at the end of the day, still get into the bank account and move that cash. Uh, that or just um, um, blackmail you in, in paying oh, out. Okay. Yes. So that's the whole premise with ransomware. Basically, ransomware is they, if, if an attacker is able to get a uh, foot, foothold uh, in the environment, they encrypt the data and they ask uh, you to pay out a sum if you want the data to be decrypted. And often nowadays, if organizations say, well, you know what, I have backups of that data, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be uh, paying uh, this, this, this ransom you're asking for, um, the attacker will say, well, I'm sure there is some information in that data that you don't want to be publicly disclosed, so right. you still need to pay me. Yeah. Um, so that the, the financial motives are by far leading the charts. But it's not maybe not so much stealing the money it's, from you. Yeah, it's, it's using your data is, to get you to to pay a ransom. Pay, yeah. pay a ransom. Yeah. And usually using cryptocurrency, so it's extremely hard for organization to find right. who is behind that uh, um, that attack. And so in a case for us at Anva, you know, I imagine not not that you know, knock wood. I know you go to bed every night, right? Happy that you know there's. No, nobody holding ransom over us. But I imagine that some of the, the the risk of why we need such high security is because some of that data that we have connection to is PII of that we are custodian millions. of. Yes, we are custodian of state and members' data. Um, so we, and, and that's the reason why we have uh, so much segregation in our environment. Mm. Um, you know, we, as you mentioned at the beginning, we. We have the traditional not-for-profit business sure. and um, sort of network, internal network and resources. And then we have the, the systems that we run for our members and those two are completely separate. We have different networks, accounts, um, Azure, you know, cloud, cloud tenancy. Uh, so we leave, we create air gaps between those environment to ensure mm -hmm. that, um, you know, the, um, the systems that are most most prone to phishing, for example, that we run as a traditional organization, do not have any um, influence on what we run for our members. Yeah, and so back to the phishing on the security side, you know, first layer of defense, I imagine, is some sort of filtering out that those yes. emails never get into right. the inbox. Yes. yes, so we we run those filters. Um, but we also rely, uh, so, so those are the primary defense, and that's where the vast majority, I would say, almost 90% of the phishing attempts, if not more, get caught. Um, but there is also uh, dependency on our staff being educated and aware and attentive. And that's something I'm very proud of. If I, if I look at the history of um, AMBAS culture as it relates to security, you know, when we first started back in 2006, mm -hmm. security was seen as, okay, this is somebody else's job, I have my job, and I don't do security. Today, everybody understands that AMVA, that we are all in for security. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when, when we you know, have a user report something that is suspicious of phishing, the system takes action immediately on that. We remove it from other mailbox where that uh, email may have also been distributed and so on and so forth. Mm. And I think, and that's an interesting 
editorialization, if you will, on you know having solid security, there's only so much you can do with the system, yeah. right? To really be tight, it, the human behavior of people who are not living and breathing it every day like you, but recognize you know they they have a role to play. And so you as the chief security officer, you've had to take on a role not only as the architect of what are the, the systems and the technology solutions, but human training, yes. <laughs> which is which is probably harder than all the, right, if you just live behind the computer and do all the systems. <laughs> it, it's harder in an organization where I would say you may have pushed back, but yeah. I think AMBA has realized that um, this is important. This yeah. is at core to our business. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, recent reports, for example, a, a well-known publication called the Verizon Data Breach uh, Investigation Report, mm -hmm. DBIR, um, indicates that 74% of the breaches, so it's 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 beyond incident, it's a breach, mm -hmm. um, human element was involved. Again, not necessarily always in a malicious manner, it could be mistake, um, but yeah, humans still play a role. So. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, from the security standpoint, the controls that we deploy um, need to be such that um, our staff can still do their job. Right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so it's always finding that that balance of, of putting controls and and um, to prevent anything um, nefarious from happening, as well as empowering the user to do their job efficiently. Yeah. So you know, we talk about data breaches. There's been some high-profile ones, you know, over the past number of months and and years. Um, there was a uh, a breach recently. Uh, you know, a software that was having you know major challenges that a number of our our of our members used and were caught up in in some of that. How do we uh, react, prepare, mitigate to make sure that those don't impact us, or even if it's impacting one particular member, it somehow doesn't seep into the connections that they have with everybody else. Yes, so the issues with supply chain um, management and vulnerabilities are becoming more and more important in the industry. Um, in the case you mentioned, you may be re doing reference to a solar winds incident right. and others where you have solutions that are very ubiquitous in, in all organizations. And when something vulnerable happens with those solutions, everybody gets impacted. Uh, so there are several things. First, on our side, it's the need to be able to react quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you, we are no longer in a, a day where, at, at a stage where you can take your time, you can take weeks to fix a problem. It, it's, it's a matter of hours or days. Um, because once the vulnerability is well known, the bad actors don't wait to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's it's also looking down and say, if Anva is using service providers, are they also impacted? So we, we reach out to those proactively and say, okay, we are doing this on our side. What are you doing on your side? Because we don't want to be subject to an issue because you, you are yourself also impacted. So that due diligence. And, and we also now report, um, you've seen many of those, uh, publications to uh, to the, the membership to let them know where we stand and make them aware, give them resources to also address the problem in, in their um, in their own state. Um, we haven't been faced today, knock on wood, with mm -hmm. a situation where those issues will um, permeate and, and be like um, where one member system, for example, being impacted could inadvertently affect another. We haven't had any of those. I think the, the everybody 
treats the network, even though the network is secure, it's private, it's encrypted and managed, um, we all treat that as a, 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 a boundary mm. and say that what's on the other side of that my network is not trusted. So even though we, we are all working with members organization that we inherently trust for business exchange, from, a, from an IT and security standpoint, we don't trust. Mm. Um, and we, we apply this principle even internally. You know, we, we call it zero trust where um, it's not because I am who I, I say I am and I might have my title that I can do things willy-nilly on, on our network. I always have to demonstrate who I am, where I'm coming from. Um, we call that zero trust. And so those principles really help situation where if one organization is affected with a problem, it's not going to have an impact on others. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like, not unlike our members who are dealing with fighting fraud, you know, that we're always playing catch up, that the folks, the bad actors, you know, just when you think you've got a sense of what they're going to come up with, they're coming up with a new way to come and get you. Um, is there a way to get ahead of it or is just the nature of the business you're always playing catch up to what the newest threat is going to be? So um, it's a very good question. And it feels we are playing catch up, but I will say we are, we are actually usually trying to be ahead. Um, it's, it's really being um, aware of the best practices, working with trust partners, you know, for example, the Microsoft of the world, mm-hmm. the Center of Internet Security, uh, NIST, and so on, those organizations, understanding um, the best practices and implementing those because those those will get you ahead, right? If you if you, ampl- it's think of the situation of a, a house where if you're aware of how to secure your house, put the locks, put the security camera, put you know all those things in place properly, then you're ahead of the the bad guy coming in and trying you you know open your lock or pick your lock, and uh, so you don't want to wait for mm-hmm. the guy to come and try to pick your lock before you start yeah. thinking about securing your house. That's sort of how we do it. Yeah. And so and what what are the What's the next generation of threats? You know, I mean, is it just more sophisticated phishing and ransomware and that kind of stuff? Or, you know, dare I utter the words artificial intelligence and what that means for, for security? I mean, what's, what is the next phase? That of, is the next phase. It is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if so you, if you, we're so talking a lot about artificial intelligence in the community in terms of how it can be used for good, right? Through customer service and interacting with information because they're, it's, it's not all bad. Some artificial touches can be good. How is it? What's the threat of it on the security side? So, so it's it's interesting because um, we currently use it already, and 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 we'll use it more where um, to detect unusual pattern of behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we currently have that technology in place, um, and and AI can really help also detect an issue and understand the potential applications and how to quickly address it and potentially do remediation on its own. Um, so there is this great aspect of AI supporting the security uh, um, work. There is a flip side of the bad actor using AI. Um, you know, So we talked about phishing. We, I'm sure you've seen how AI can, using sound bits of, you know, you, you speak a lot at conferences, Ian. Mm-hmm. Your voice is very available on the public domain. Yeah. AI can quickly yeah. use that and create a very um, believable voicemail or, or oh a phone call of you calling 
the CFO and saying, we need to take this action immediately and interact real time with the CFO. And will the CFO really know that they are not talking to the real Ian? It may sound like crazy futuristic, right. but it's not that crazy futuristic. It's not that far. Um, and that's just from a fishing standpoint, but also from a, a more techni technical level, um, AI can really help bad actors. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how organizations use AI to beef up their defenses and, right. and bad actors use AI so to just continue to uh, sort of find holes in. Yes. Man. Okay. So my, yes, my voice is out there as like through this podcast. So if anybody listening gets a call from me, it may or may not be me. But so I see it a little bit in jest, but I guess, you know, something, a tool that comes to mind to my less sophisticated security brain, um, something that I know you've introduced some years ago and and a lot of people maybe at first like, oh, it's such an annoying extra step and has become so mainstream now is something as simple as like a dual factor authentication, right? So, right, you do that when you're logging in to make sure it's you. Like I all of a sudden see a world where like, okay, you're calling me. And now I'm I'm going to send you this other thing to make sure it's really you on the other end of the line. Yes, yes, yes. And <laughs> so we need to do more of that. Um, but it, again, that's a, a very interesting control where <clears throat> multi-factor authentication plays a huge role in every organization to secure, you know, access and authentication. Yeah. At the same time, users, back to the human element being always um, involved in some fashion, there is user fatigue. There is what we yes. call MFA fatigue. There is what we call sometimes MFA harassment, which is occurs when you're getting prompted too a many lot, times. too many times during a short period of time. And guess what? As humans, we tend to do is say, "Go away, click and and and, and say, let me leave me alone." Right. It's like so, accepting the terms and conditions and everything on your phone. That yeah, you're and say just doing. just move. Yeah, yeah. Move, move away. Uh, so we have to change the way MFA works. We have to change, and that's why now you see, you know, challenge codes and all those things being introduced, so that you're not able to just wave it away and 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 basically um, defeat the reason why MFA was put into place. Yeah. Uh, so so those those multi-factor authentication challenges will continue to exist and evolve to put in the code. Check what what are the images of a bridge here versus not of a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned, you know, when you started in 2006. Is that when you first came to AMVA, 2006? No, actually, I, I came to AMVA in 1998. Okay. Um, as a consultant, yeah. uh, working for DataSource, a great company at the time, and supporting what was AmbaNet yeah. um, as, a, as a software developer, work on many of our well-known products like Uni and, and other things. Um, and then in 2003, I became an employee. Um, and then in 2006, we realized that um, we did not have a security department at the time. And um, we were not that we were not taking security seriously, but we were not necessarily, we didn't have security policies uh, defined. And, and we realized this is time to actually make security a core aspect of our business. So we took that initiative to um, um, develop a security program. and. Here I am a couple so of years you, later. You were there from from the start of this yes, at, at yes. Amva. You were really yeah. part of part of building it uh, from 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 day one. Uh, but you came in not as a security Correct. guy, as a uh, developer, coder. You know, what will be the right uh, the phrase? Yeah, developer time. and De system developer. engineer. Yes. So did you see this in your? Would you have imagined in your career path that you you know would led led down this road? Um, 
to a degree because um, I had the opportunity to work on system facing the internet um, I, when I came to Amba. The majority of the services and systems that we were offering to our member were only provided through the uh, AmbaNet private secure network. And facing the internet was um, a different um, concept, right? You, 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 we talked earlier about how much or little you trust the network you're interacting right. with. You surely cannot trust anything on the internet. So we had to up our game before exposing the system on the internet. And that led to a lot more security you know, concerns to that need to be addressed before we could even do something like that. Uh, so, it, yes, I mean, I, I, I felt like there was... A, so it was a natural, organic building. There, there was, yeah, somebody had to sort of say, how, how do we go about it? How, and and um, yeah, so that I, so there was an opportunity there, if you wish. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you, uh, 98, uh, so you've really spent... Mo I mean, I, I kind of have a kind of sense of how old you are and how long you've been working for. So most of your career has really been in this in this AMVA space. That's yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're not, I mean, in case anybody hasn't figured it out by listening, you're not originally from here. Yes, I'm so, from France, originally from France. So yeah. I spent a, a year and a half in the Navy um, before that doing um, security, not security, but building messaging system. And, the French uh, Navy. The French Navy, I'm yes. sorry, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then came to um, the U.S. and worked for Data Source as a consultant. Is that what brought you to to the states? Uh, my wife is American. Oh, there you go. That's a that's a good reason to come. <laughs> yes, that's yes. a good reason to come. And then, I mean, the the irony of being a chief security officer, happening to work for a CIO who just also happens to be from France. I mean, there can't be too many countries where 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 in organizations where that aligns. Yes, yes. That's I mean, a lot of our listeners know Philippe, but you guys are not from the same parts of France, if I remember correctly. We are not from the same part of France, um, but we had the privilege of attending the same engineering school. Oh, look at that. So actually, uh, the way I came... Uh, as a you were many years after Philippe. We all yes. know that. <laughs> uh, so actually, Philippe uh, and I um, had some connections before I started uh, working here. So I, oh, really? I, I, Through I the thank school? Him because of the school? Because of the school alumni. So I thank him for allowing me to be here and, and for spending my time uh, in this organization. Oh, that's neat. I did not know that story, that you had that previous connection through the, through the alumni network. That's very, very, what's the name of the school? It's called the uh, um, Art Métier, which stands for Arts and Crafts. Uh, it's one of the oldest engineering schools in France. Neat. That's great. Well, P.Y., thanks for spending some time with me today, chatting a little bit about what you do and how we do security here at Amway. It's such a, you know, it, I don't think it can be overstated, you know, how important it is considering the, the network, like you said, the outset, our members rely on every day. You know, this is not just about running, you know, emails and browsing and making sure people don't visit inappropriate websites. This is about something so much more bigger and protecting data, not just of our staff, but of, of and not just even of our members, but of, you know, millions of their customers uh, around North America. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. It's, a, it's a pleasure. Cool. Thank you all for listening this week. As always, thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast. Hosted by Ian Grossman. Produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.